Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skos-Gaspo. Oh, well, guys, what an opening weekend of the NCAA basket, men's basketball tournament. I mean, holy shnikes. 16 seed beats a one for the first time ever. Uh, four top seeds in that same bracket uh, go out in opening weekend. Uh, you got some Cinderella runs by Loyola, Chicago. Uh, just beat uh, Nevada tonight uh, to go on to the Elite Eight. Um, real interesting, uh, fun week of, uh, basketball, assuming you don't like your brackets intact at all. Just, hey, at the start of the season, you know, we were all, our, our big hope was for a Chicago team to be making a deep tournament run and our, our prayers have been answered. Just how we drew it up. (laughs) (laughs) About, About four miles south. Yeah, let's put it this way. There's no doubt who the best team in the state of Illinois is this year. Although, although to be to be to, to be honest, um, the the closest basketball played to Northwestern University this year is now in the Elite Eight. Yeah, that's true. It is bizarre because we were playing way out in Allstate Arena. Although, again, as I'm the line I'm starting to take, as stated by my bracket entry in the Westlot Pirates Tournament Challenge, all state never happened. Uh, I'm just going to pretend that that, that 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 never actually happened. Come on, none of you went to any of those games. You can't prove to me we actually played out at that stadium. I think we just <laughs> wipe, wipe this one right from the books. There's a uh, there's definitely a couple things we should talk about from that from that opening that opening weekend. Um, and I want to I want to make a couple calls back to our podcast we had with Scott Sepich last weekend, like or, or last week previewing the the opening weekend of the tournament. Uh, we joked a lot about the Arizona uh, Arizona State Syracuse winner making a run in the tournament, and some people that had had picked that uh, that team kind of inexplicably to do well, and then um, a few days later they've somehow knocked off Michigan State and are looking at a at a potential run to the Sweet Sixteen. Um, you have, uh, you know, one seeds and two seeds just falling apart on the left side of the bracket. Most notably, the uh, the UVA uh, UMBC game. We talked a lot about one sixteen and that, you know, that Penn Kansas matchup and some of the analytics community talking about it. And then, John, you had a comment on last week's podcast where you're like, "There's no strong favorites. There's a lot of like, you know." teams that maybe could make a run like we just like can this tournament just get started so something can happen because it feels like that's what's going to happen and you were spot on like it was it was really it, it was historic and momentous and teams like UIC and uh, I'm sorry not UIC uh, Loyola Chicago um, teams like Kansas State who's playing right now uh, Syracuse these teams are are kind of an afterthought because of a one finally getting knocked off in the first round by a 16. And I, you know, it would have been even more accurate if kind of like what he did with, with his bracket, if Sam had just pushed go on the part of the recording where I specifically said university of Maryland, Baltimore County is going to make the run over Virginia. Uh, I don't know how, how that didn't get into the final edit, Sammy, but uh, I'm pretty sure that 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 was part of my prediction. It was just way too ridiculous to leave in there. Sorry, bud. (laughs) (laughs) Nice nice try, (laughs) Lacombe. 
And, and all those files are uh, deleted, so there's no proof you actually ever said that. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I mean, that was just absolute ridiculousness. That was the funny thing, right, is like, yeah, like Sagan says, we talked about the analytics, Penn uh, and Kansas in their history of being snake bit in the tourney, and nope, Kansas still very much alive. Um, and uh, my wife's bracket in the tournament challenge is tethered to Kansas, so uh, she's going to be riding them as far as possible. But, yeah, that and, and you know, the Ramblers of Loyola, not just for winning, but for the way that they've won and – and um, I, one of the parents of one of the kids that I work with is a Loyola grad, and even he was like, all right, I, I think I'm reaching my Sister Jean threshold. But... <laughs> How can you hate on Sister Jean? She's so adorable. She is so adorable, and CBS is going to uh, get every bit of mileage out of that that they can. I mean, it's it's great. I mean, you know, I mean, like I said to you guys, that second shot – the the shot that Loyola hit to win their uh, second game against Tennessee hit so many parts of the backboard that uh, you know I could only think that a ninety year old nun with a direct line to the man upstairs had something to do with that one going in. But it's awesome. I mean, it's it's a great run, and it's great that these kids get to get to have Chicago all focused on them right now. Another fun thing to uh, to note is of. Every school that made the big the big dance that was in the FBI investigation, right? Uh, just all of that uh, hanging over their heads, a grand total of one win, and everyone was out in the first weekend. You know, Arizona knocked out early. Louisville didn't even make it uh, into the tournament at all. Um, you know, Auburn won one game and knocked out. Auburn had the only win of those... Uh, uh, of those investigated teams, I, I don't know that that win might be wiped off the off the books by by way of a thirty point loss to Clemson in the second round. Very it feels true. like that win shouldn't count. Yeah, now luckily we have you know honest to goodness schools, you know clean programs like Kentucky still alive. Right? <laughs> the right way. Duke, Kansas, Duke. Yeah, right. Uh, so yeah, let's. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that the NCAA should start patting itself on its on the back too heavily, especially with the road that you know Kentucky's got potentially ahead of them. If if they beat this Kansas State team, they're you know looking at a Loyola matchup to make the Final Four. But well, I mean, yeah, Kansas I think, State does have a seven point lead right now with three minutes to go in the first half. Right, and I don't want to put the cart before the horse because a lot of these teams play tomorrow, but. The two teams to me, and, and I think we talked a little about this um, with Scott on our pod last week, for me it was like there were two schools of thought you could go with going into the tournament. One was the team with the best pedigree, and one was the team with the best raw talent. And those are the two best teams so far in this tournament. Um, uh, Villanova and Duke haven't been touched by anybody so far. And I think if you were going to reseed the tournament, those would be the top two seeds. I, I know, and, you know, Can- that, Kansas looked really good too. Kansas has looked good. I mean, and I mean, Michigan started slow, but Lord have mercy, they put it on A and M tonight. But I'm um, so mad they lost to Houston. That was like my sneaky, my sneaky pick of of Houston making a run and. Uh, that miracle three pointer. That was that, oh. that game was insane. I mean, and their game was insane. There's been a ton of really fun, insane games. I mean, um, not just to go back to the UMBC Virginia game. I mean, it's like, okay, 
a 16 seed hangs tight, you know, maybe gets a miracle shot at the end, but no, 20 point just beat down. That well, was, and they dominate, they dominated the whole second half. Like that was awesome. That was so awesome. Yeah, it to was watch. great. I, I, I have not enjoyed watching a group of players, uh, as, as much as I enjoyed watching those guys in the second half of that game, because it was like all the planets came into alignment for them. Every, uh, every pass, and those guys, those guys play fast, and they played super aggressive, and they went for, um, you know, the full speed, uh, cutting player passes and the wrap around the defender passes, and just, you know, stuff that you would think is not fifty fifty, but also not like super efficient. And everything went went right for them, and it was it was spectacular to watch uh, their energy and how excited they were, and and just you know the the, the moment the the historical elements in that moment um, were just really really fun to experience. I was glad I was paying enough t- attention to pull it up on my phone before going to sleep. And and Virginia was completely unable to respond. I mean, the way they play, super slow, you know, big defense. You know, they couldn't. When, when it was getting out of hand, they didn't have the ability to crank up the tempo to turn it on. They just they couldn't do it. And UMBC just kept that high tempo going and, you know, found a way to to beat Virginia's defense. And Virginia's and I, lack of offense did them in. And I think, you know, I mentioned this to you guys too, but as the longer that lasted, eventually it reached a tipping point where Virginia realized that there was a real possibility that this was going to happen, and then the bottom just dropped. Yeah, out. and this and the the thing, the single thing I was thinking of most watching that was when Brazil played Germany in the World Cup at home and lost seven to one because the moment uh, uh, Germany got that third goal and they were up three nothing, it was the first half. But at that moment, every one of those Brazilian guys knew almost certainly they were about to lose and crash out of the tournament in front of their home fans. And the minute that happened, Germany scored three more goals in the blink of an eye. Because for there was a period of time where every one of the Brazilian guys just went shell-shocked and just stopped playing. And it wasn't quite that level, but the Virginia guys... There was a moment when they realized that they were going to be the ones forever etched on this thing from the wrong side. And, I mean, you I mean, you give them credit. I mean, just to have to even to play out the stretch in a game like that is just brutal. Um, but, well, the, their, yeah. their, their system really fell apart, right? Because they had to start really pressing for uh, turnovers and traps. And, you know, th- their whole system is predicated on like, we're not going to let you get past us and we're going to, we're going to force you to pass around the outside and throw up a contested three, um, or, you know, take an ill-advised, you know, drive between two of our awesome defenders. And we, right, and then, we, and then on our end, we're going to set up, we're going to work the clock and set up a really effective shot. Right. And when, and when they can't do any, either of those things, because they've, they've got to make up ground, um, it, it, like their discipline started to fall apart and you, you, you were able to see UMBC just start, you know, throwing the ball around the court, um, in ways that, you know, normally wouldn't, Virginia would would never allow that to occur because of the way that they're set up. I thought it was really interesting hearing some of the the conversations with with the players and and the the coach um, from UMBC after the game about how they said, you know, we we 
basically tried to wear out Virginia by making them run side to side. And you saw them just, you know, like slashing into um, the, I, I don't even want to say the lane because they weren't even attacking the basket. It was more of a, more of a slash just to get guys moving left to right on the defense. And that opened up passes for them to the outside. And then they shot really well from three point. It was, it was a spectacular game plan, kind of, you know, brilliant in its construction, but at the same time, you know, very reminiscent of what an underdog is supposed to do in these types of matchups to try and uh, beat a more talented opponent by, um, shooting efficient shots and uh, trying to take more shots than their opponent, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, you, you look at their next game against Kansas State and just nothing was falling for them. And you, you got to think, like, all of that emotion going into winning that first game, it's so hard to, to get that back up to the same level. I mean, sure, you're playing with house money, but there's also, like, wait, we actually, we advanced? What? <laughs> they they were so tired too. You could really tell. Oh yeah, they, they were had, gassed. Um, they were absolutely. I mean, they gassed. had a sh- they had a short bench. Lyles got you know banged up in that first game and couldn't hit anything. In the second. I mean, he he stopped shooting. He became a true distributor in that second game because he just couldn't score. And uh, at the same time, you look at Kansas State, who you know it still has a, about a seven point lead on Kentucky right now, approaching halftime. They're a team with. Um, not as good of a defense as uh, Virginia, certainly, but a really strong defensive team, which with a lot more um, offensive firepower, uh, maybe a bit more senior laden. So they just, um, you know, I, 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 as, as that game went on, you kind of felt like, oh, UMBC doesn't have a chance here unless all of a sudden their shooting fortunes do a 180. Uh, Big Ten, um, you know, Michigan State, Ohio State, you know, going out in the second round. Um, you know, kind of, you, you mentioned Syracuse a little bit earlier. It's really interesting. Um, Syracuse always seems to be in the regular season. They're just touch and go, but for whatever reason, you get into the tournament and that 2-3 zone just turns on. And you, you say the exact same thing about um, Izzo. As well, you know, you got Michigan State and, you know, Izzo in, in the postseason kind of turns it on. Uh, and, yes, those two ran into each other in the second round. Yeah, no, I think it's – you've got two guys that have just been around forever. I mean, Bayheim in that zone, like you said. I mean, he's no stranger to making long tournament runs. And, right, I mean, it's it's – they do that one thing really well. And if they catch the right opponents, you know, they can find a way through – I think they're they're up against it with Duke right now. I mean, it's funny. You've got two different teams where one has way more talent than the other, but both of them, right, kind of like you were saying, Sammy, sort of screwed around for a lot of the season, not putting together the potential of what they could become. Duke's potential is way higher than Syracuse's potential, but still... You've got two teams that are playing their best basketball right now. Now, with that said, I think, you know, that all favors Duke to the nth degree. But um, but we'll see. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. There's a quick there's a quick Big, T- big Ten story that we should circle back on, and that's uh, Purdue. Yeah. And their big, their big center, Haas. Will Purdue engineering come through for him? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. A break, were... Breaking his elbow. He couldn't play in the, in the second game. Um yeah, you because know, the brace that they had wasn't uh, NCAA compliant. 
And I guess the, the engineering students have been, you know, working throughout the week to try and get something that, I mean, even if he does play, he's not going to be able to do anything. I mean, he's got a I was, broken freaking elbow. I was going to say, he had to be leaning on Purdue chemical engineering students. <laughs> <laughs> and I whatever. It, I think it depends what, um, I think it depends what kind of break. You know, like he might just have a hairline fracture at the end of his his tibia. I can't imagine that that's going to be um, not tibia, but his, at the end of his forearm, like that might not be too bad of a of a deal. Um, but he's still seven. I mean, he just puts his arms in the air and he can, you know, force guys to to change their shot. I think it's. I just think it's also hilarious that his backup is also a seven foot plus guy whose name begins H A A. Who, who Stuart Mandel admitted on Twitter that like, having watched several several Purdue games, this year, didn't the know they were person. different people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, but they, I mean, Butler, I'm sure the minute Haas went down was the odds-on favorite to come through in that game. I mean, 10 to nothing. Like, I mean, Butler's pedigree year in and year out is so strong. And Purdue fought through that one. Um and, you know, so now they're up against a Texas Tech team that certainly is capable of playing really strong basketball. But I think I wouldn't discount Haas being out too much. I mean, Purdue is still a very dangerous team. That's a good game, though. I mean, boy, both of those teams, I, I think, are, are teams that are have the potential. The, the winner of that game has the potential to give, if it is Villanova, uh, a really good game. But just like you were saying, Scuzz, circling back to, you know, what we talked about with Scott... I mean, Villanova, West Virginia, is that a lock by any Don't discount Huggy Bear, baby. Yeah, no. I mean, the so many of these games could go either way. And I think, you know, The Ringer had an article up talking about what will the lingering effects of the UMBC win be. And I think back to App State beating Michigan. And what it does is it just plants the seed in the mind of everybody, right, for a long time. That's like, well, App beat Michigan, so we can do something. And I think if you inject a tournament with that kind of thing where everyone is like, well, geez, UMBC could do it for one night, so why can't we? I mean, as we speak, Kansas State is up on Kentucky. Florida State's up on Gonzaga. You know, I mean, this stuff, it seeps in. And I think, right, like West Virginia is going to show up at that Villanova game feeling like they can win. Um, You know, Villanova is going to have to play uh, gangbusters to get the win but yeah it all contributes to a fun tournament and especially as as we were going in and we were talking with scott last last week that there really wasn't a you know true favorite there wasn't you know i i guess virginia might have been the closest <laughs> thing but um you know there wasn't really a consensus like this is the the team that you should everyone you know be on the lookout for uh, it's just been a really fun, interesting tournament so far. I uh, do want to pivot to what is always another fun, interesting tournament, and uh, that is the NCAA hockey tournament. Uh, which oh hell yeah, yeah that that uh, they dropped the puck on that uh, as we record this on Thursday night. They were, dropped the puck on Friday afternoon. Um, you've got the sixteen teams uh, playing in. Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Bridgeport, Connecticut, Worcester, Mass, and Allentown, PA. Um, you know, your number one seeds, St. Cloud State, Notre Dame, Cornell, and Ohio State. 
As someone who once interned at, while in Medill at Men's Health Magazine in Allentown, PA, I can say definitively this is the coolest thing that has happened in Allentown, Pennsylvania. <laughs> it's like the Billy Joel song followed by this. Um, and interesting, you know, in Allentown, you've got um, you got Ohio State the, as the number one seed. Uh, Denver is the number two seed uh, who won the tournament last year. They're your defending national champions uh, going in as the two seed. You got Penn State basically playing home games in Allentown. And then uh, Princeton, who uh, in at the four seed, they won the ECAC uh, going in there. So interesting. Like Ohio State, I'm, I'm actually a little puzzled uh, by this Ohio State seeding as a number one seed. Denver won their conference tournament. Ohio State lost in the finals of the Big Ten tournament. So, you know, their records are about the same. I don't understand. And I guess fundamentally it doesn't really matter. Um, But, you know, I I think Denver would much rather play Princeton than Penn State here in the the first round. Uh, Yeah, I don't know what to tell you, Sammy. I mean, Ohio State has two more wins. Three less, three less uh, ties. Denver is actually ranked higher yeah. in the um, the the poll, but uh, it is what it is. You know, your your DU boy is going to have to step up and uh, win this from uh, from the three seed or the two seed. It's interesting geographically too that Allentown would be the closest to a home game for probably Princeton. I'm trying to I'm trying to visualize it in my head right now. No, it, it'll be pretty close for for Penn State. Well, I'm trying to think. Where's like I said, I spent all this time there, and I'm like, how far east is it? Because Allentown's pretty close to Philly. Yeah, it's it's not far from Philly, but I mean, I, I don't think you're going to get, and it's not that far of a. Well, yeah, and then it's like I don't know how much Princeton fans travel for hockey. Like I don't really like. I mean, it's it's north of Philly, so I mean, yeah, gee, like. Like mileage wise, sure, state college is further away than Princeton, but it's you know, it, it'll be a home crowd for Penn State. They're there. all closer than Denver. Yeah, Let's put it yeah. that way. Well, and so Penn State is the official. So every one of these regionals has an official host team. Penn State is the official host team for Allentown. They were always going to get placed in that in that spot. They do like to try and make uh, geographical um, decisions or or. Uh, they try to minimize some of the travel just, you know, to, to give fans a, a, an opportunity to show up. The the Sioux Falls uh, Regional, which is a funny place to have a regional, I might add, in South Dakota, features three teams from the state of Minnesota. So uh, that's obviously right next door um, and done very, very purposely. There was some, some conversation on the, the bracketology guys on uh, some of the some of the hockey websites that I that I follow who are thinking that um, – Really, the way it should work, the Northeastern Michigan uh, two-three game should really be happening in that bracket um, to balance out St. Cloud State as your number one overall seed. But for geography, for travel purposes, they moved those two Minnesota schools into St. Cloud State's uh, corner of the bracket, if you will. So a little bit of a uh, of a, I guess, a little negative situation there for St. Cloud State, but. Um, I don't think it's going to dramatically impact things one way or another. I mean, these games are frankly, it's single elimination hockey. It's, it's, 
it's not random, but it feels really close to random. And that's part of what makes this tournament so fun. Um, we, you know, one seeds lose all the time in this tournament in the first round. Frankly, Princeton is a really tough matchup for Ohio state. Uh, they've got a bit more offensive firepower than, than the Buckeyes do. So it's going to come down to, uh, Ohio state's goaltending and defense. So, uh, you just, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen, which is what makes this so much fun. You get, you get crazy situations. Um, I will be shocked if Michigan tech wins, but other than that, you know, anything's game. I, what's really interesting about this, uh, this year is I, it's like the first time in how long that neither Minnesota or North Dakota is in the tournament. Uh, at least 38 years. Yeah. That that's crazy. That is crazy. And and on a more personal note, based on our past couple of years, UMass Lowell also not in the tournament, which is a real bummer as far as I'm concerned. You know it's not a bummer? Boston College missing out. <laughs> Suck it, Eagles. <laughs> the uh <laughs> punctuated by the cracking of the can. <laughs> I'm, cel- I'm celebrating, boys. Uh uh so I had a question for you guys that I was curious about and, and only because as a, at best, casual fan of college hockey, um, the, <laughs> the Olympics were spearheaded right by the, the two NCAA guys who were on the roster, right? Greenway and, and who? Um, uh, there were, there were three. There were three. So it was Greenway and who were the other two? Uh, Do you guys remember? One guy from Denver and another guy. Who just signed with uh, the Bruins and went in and Donato? So that's what I and that's what I was going to ask. Donato played for Harvard. Yes, is that correct? I believe so. Yeah, that's right. So that's right. So the reason I was asked. So that's just really fascinating to me that the way the seasons overlap, a guy's season can end in the NCAA and he can immediately start playing in the NHL right away. I mean, obviously, I'm sure it doesn't happen that often. Actually, it happens well, a I, lot I, more often than uh, than you think. It happens a lot because in unlike college basketball and college football, uh, hockey operates more like baseball where players can be drafted but aren't required to leave school. They're allowed to continue to develop and play, and the NHL team holds their draft rights for um, I want to say two or three years, but then there are situations. Um, Jimmy VC is a good example who, you know, he was drafted by, I want to say Nashville Yep. and, you know, continued to play in college. Uh, I think won the Hobie Baker award or came very close to winning the Hobie Baker award with Harvard, uh, last season made a run in the tournament. And then basically was like, yeah, I don't want to play in Nashville, so um, I'm not going to sign there. I'm going to open up my my rights to to free agency. So it's a much better situation for the players in a lot of ways. Um, And at the same time, teams can benefit from, from from that setup as well in that they're able to let players continue to develop. They don't need to... Uh, stash a guy in the minor leagues. They don't need to uh, bring him up to the team and, and fill a roster spot too early. Don't uh, need it to seems pay like really, him. Yeah, yeah. So, so like another, so another kind of the other part dovetailing with this is so Greenway played or plays for who? So Greenway Greenway plays for BU, who is in the tournament this year. They're a four seed facing off with Cornell. Uh, Ryan Donato, you mentioned earlier uh, on Harvard, they did not make the tournament. Uh, there's two other guys, Troy Terry, forward with uh, University of Denver, and then uh, Will Borgen, defender with St. Cloud State. And I want to say that 
I think Borgen is considered to be um, a really, really high potential uh, NHL draft pick, if if I'm not wrong. So that's kind of what I was wondering is, how often is it that, I guess in just this, it would just be the case of Donato, you have a Frozen Four tournament that is missing a guy who's considered to be like one of the very best players. It seems like just usually great players tend to be on great teams or am I misreading that? So um, I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I mean, you know, are, are you suggesting that someone would leave college before the tournament or like? No, 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 no. I just mean, it seems to me like whether it be like, I don't know, Connor McDavid or um, not Connor McDavid. Um, who was the guy? Again, I, I I'm just gonna. Th- oh, spin. Jack Jack Eichel, who was playing Eichel, for, yeah, for Eichel, BU. guys like that. I mean, does the Frozen Four tend to always have all the best players, or have there other been like other notable times where there's been like, oh, this guy didn't make it all the, you know, like his team didn't make it into the Frozen Four tournament. I, I feel like that happens every bit as often. I mean, you got you know top basketball players who don't make the tournament. See, no, ben, yeah, I ben know, Simmons, and I was just, but uh, right, no, that's what I mean. I was just like kind of like thinking. You know, do the is it a situation where like is talent even more compounded in hockey? Like, if you've I, got a great team, like that team is making it into the Frozen Four. No, I I think talent is less compounded because of hmm. it's I it's more of like an in between between football and basketball hmm. in that you've got what twenty two ish players um, if and you you might have stud offensive firepower but if you don't have a goalie and a defense um you could be in 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 trouble uh i wouldn't be surprised if that's what happened with harvard this year so i i i think it's you know in basketball one guy can make the difference right football is a little unique because one quarterback can make can make all the difference um and in hockey like a really solid defender or an awesome goaltender can be can be a big uh, a big aspect i think i think there are times you've seen a, a team a team get to the tournament that it's all on the back of their their awesome goalie. I think Quinnipiac was a team like that a few years ago, right? Uh, yeah, who was the number one overall seed, and it was all based on their goaltender. They uh, did not end up winning at all. I think they lost to Union in the final. Yes, but... they did. I remember that very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, Sammy, you were runner up that year <laughs> in our little little tournament. But um, it's uh, you know the. Uh, the, the the goalie is probably the the equivalent of the quarterback in in football in that the goalie can the, the, there's there's often the the phrase in the NHL certainly like show me a great go- coach and I'll show you his awesome goaltender hmm. yeah no I mean that that really does hold true um you know back back to this tournament you know we talked a little we've talked about the Midwest regional a little bit. Uh, the West in Sioux Falls, the three Minnesota teams, and Air Force. Uh, Minnesota State, Minnesota Duluth, St. Cloud State. Uh, yeah. Awesome. And St. Cloud State coming in at number one. I mean, they are the number one seed overall. Interesting. They did not win their tournament. Denver did. Denver. <laughs> you are so hung up on I am this. So, I am hung up on this. Come on. How... They're a two seed, and they beat the number one seed in the tournament championship, the the number one team in the country. I it doesn't. Okay, I I'm gonna relax now. And they're playing Penn State in Allentown. And they're playing Penn State in Allentown. I don't, I don't, 
I don't think the conference championships in in hockey have as much weight as they do in college basketball. No, no, they don't. They certainly don't. I think the interesting thing to me in the Sioux Falls bracket, the the team that people should be watching out for is Minnesota State because in addition to as you said, Scuzz having awesome uniforms, uh, they're also playing uh, with a little bit of boost from the late Jerry Van Dyke. Luther Van Dam of coach fame who passed on this year, uh, pride of the Minnesota state screaming Eagles. And, uh, I don't think Minnesota state is actually the screaming Eagles, but no, they're, they're the Mavericks. They're the Mavericks, but either way, they've got that little extra boost. And again, you, uh, if you've got a little line to the man upstairs, ask Loyola how that goes. Okay. So watch out for Minnesota state. That's all I'm saying. The sick purple jerseys with the angry Brahma bull on the front is just, oh, they're just awesome. <laughs> they're just awesome. Uh, in the East Regional, that's in Bridgeport. You got Notre Dame, Providence, Clarkson, and Michigan Tech. Oh, so yeah, Notre Dame, who, uh, made it to the Frozen Four last year, uh, before bowing out in the, in the first round of the Frozen Four. Um, they won. Hammered by Denver. Yeah. Thank you. Um, they won the Big Ten, uh, with a, Really nice win over Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game. Um, you know, Providence, Clarkson, Michigan Tech. I mean, Notre Dame has been playing really good hockey this year. They, they, they've been great all season long. They've been bouncing. They were number one for a little while. They've been bouncing around the top five basically all season. They're a pretty complete team um, and just really solid, yeah. I have to say, a good a, it's, it's a good barometer of – things people want or don't want regarding football how pissed off i get hearing the phrase notre dame won the big 10 tournament (laughs) (laughs) i don't want to have to say that any more than is absolutely necessary so notre dame should just stay where they are um but since umass lowell isn't in this one uh, I always back the salty New Englanders, so Providence would definitely be be my number one. But salty New Englanders going up against Michigan Tech, who, for all intents and purposes, play on the moon, um, up up on Lake Superior. Th- those are this is definitely the regional that has my two favorite teams. Michigan Tech was a. Uh a very entertaining team last year, namely that their fans just had an absolute ball. They were here at the Cincinnati regional. They were going crazy during the, the opening game. They lost to, um, I think union, but they came back the next day, all their band and all their fans came back the next day for the second game, made a weekend of it, uh, here in Cincinnati and spent the entire Penn state DU game, making fun of Penn state and DU. And that was really entertaining to me. Um, I called that out quite a bit on Twitter and got some love from random Michigan Tech people, so that was fun. Uh, are, are, are they still following that, us, by the way? That's a that's a great question. Um, Shout out to them that. if they are. Absolutely, but the the best is their logo, which is like I can't even figure it. It's like a like a husky's head, but then with like eighties uh, bar streaks going going off behind it. I don't know. It's it's. It's extremely 80s. It's extremely dot matrix. Um, it just looks goofy, and uh, I love it. It's it's clunky and awkward and really fun. So I I don't think they have a prayer against Notre Dame. Um, 
especially I, I didn't mention it a second ago, but Kale Morris, Notre Dame's goaltender has been um, just electric this year and uh, looks to be one of these situations where a goalie can, can take a team quite, quite far. And for Michigan tech to, to beat them would be really, really shocking. But uh, I expect their fans to, to make a good showing. And once, once again, it'd be pretty entertaining. And then in the, uh, the Northeast regional in Worcester, you got Cornell, Michigan, Northeastern, and Boston University. Um, I, I the one thing I know about Northeastern, uh, a they won the Bean Pot for the first time in like forever uh, this year, and B they've got um, I think one of the Blackhawks' top prospects, Dylan Sakura, uh, playing for them, and I, I think a lot of Blackhawks fans have been re- kind of keeping an extra close eye on Northeastern, uh, kind of watching Sakura. Yeah, they've got um, arguably the best line uh, in the, in the nation, Sakura and then Adam Gaudet and Nolan Stevens. Um, their power play is pretty unstoppable and they, uh, yeah, they just bring a lot of offensive firepower. It'd be really interesting with them matching up against, you know, a Michigan team that, that generally has decent defense. If they get to, uh, if you get a Northeastern Notre Dame game in the, in the national semifinal, that would be a pretty pretty interesting contrast and and kind of meeting of titans. Um, so they they should be a very entertaining team to watch at the very least. And uh, if if Michigan, uh, BU, or Cornell want to beat them, they're going to have to put up some uh, some scoring. Are are Northeastern and Boston University in the same conference? Mm, yes, they are. Okay, they are in Hockey East. So it's interesting that you'd have a second round matchup potentially between two teams that have already played each other several times this season in conference, which is kind of interesting. I mean, we I mean, talking in, about... in the West, St. Cloud State and Minnesota Duluth are in the same conference. Oh, yeah, I'm sure, like, with hockey, that's going to happen, inevitably. I, actually, that, just... that's the only other place where two teams in the same conference are in the same bracket. Um, I just know you just don't... You have clusters of teams. It's funny, Sammy, we were talking that in the Northeast... You've got because the Ivy League doesn't have their own devoted conference um, in hockey because they they're within the ECAC, the Ivy League teams that play hockey. You have these three conferences in the Northeast between Hockey East, the ECAC, and then what's the other one? The N W no the well whatever the third one is. They all basically have the Atl- same Atlant- Atlantic hockey. Ad- yeah, Atlantic hockey. The Atlant- Atlantic hockey, they all basically have the same geographic footprint. Uh, you could you could shuttle any of those teams in between any of those different conferences, and it's not going to change the geographic makeup of the conference. It's just funny to me because you've got it's you've got so much hockey located in such a tight area with so many of these teams, and then you see that represented in the in the tournament where you have all these different regionals where it's like one team shipped halfway around, you know, you've got Michigan, you know, randomly in the Worcester regional and Michigan tech and to a lesser extent, Notre Dame, and then poor Denver who has to come, you know, into everyone else's backyard. It's just, it's well, interesting. And Air, it's, well, air force is going to Sioux falls. So, well, I, I yeah. was going to say there's, there's one team that does not fit what you're describing, John, in these three conferences and it's yeah. air force. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> in Atlanta no. hockey. But which which makes a little bit of sense because um, that's where uh, Our, that's Army, where Army there, plays. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of surprised Navy doesn't have a team, but um, whatever. 
Well, it's navy's I mean, on the water, and when it freezes, you can't really run boats in. I, I'm grasping <laughs> straws there. Sorry about that. By it's, the way, it, this is this is total sidebar and has nothing to do with anything we're talking about. But but army and navy are playing in a rugby game this upcoming weekend. Oh, and um, both teams have been in like the, their rugby programs are are really uh, doing well, and that's going to be uh, a lot of fun. I think you can catch it online um, this Saturday if you're keen. Is that 15s or 7s? 15s. Wow. That is fun. The it's it Going back to hockey, though, it's one more reason, you know, it'd be great to see a little bit more geographic expansion in certain areas just to get... Not Southern Illinois. Well, yeah. I, not Southern Illinois, obviously, but I mean, like, <laughs> but the, I mean, well, honestly, as the third best basketball team in the state, they've got plenty of bigger problems to worry about right now. Let me third. just say. Uh, DePaul? Yeah, that's true. Whatever. Screw Illinois is my point. SIU? <laughs> um, the, Illinois but, you State? Know, it would just be great to see a, a regional, like a Denver regional, where you're pulling in, you know, you've got a reliable base out there where you've got, I mean, obviously there are several teams out there that play good hockey, but you know what I mean? Just like where, you know, like Montana's got good hockey and Wyoming and whatever, just, you've got a bit, another big geographic area where you can pull a bunch of hockey in from and just to, to Colorado get a school of mines. Well, no, I mean, yeah, you, you've got three big time programs in Colorado, Denver, Air Force and Colorado College. But it's like, I just mean, it's such an imbalance because you've got three whole conferences in the Northeast where someone from any one of those schools can drive to play someone from any one of those schools. You know what I mean? And it's just, I'd love to see a little bit more balance. And, you know, Sammy, we were already joking about uh, Alabama Huntsville and their poor yearly schedule. Just the idea that Alabama Huntsville is flying to Alaska for conference hockey games is hysterical to me. Well, Arizona State did uh, become an independent at the D1 level a couple years ago, and uh, I think it's very plausible you could see, you know, uh, some other programs starting to starting to pick up. Um, I, in my heart of hearts, I guess I won't even hate it that much if Illinois started up a program. It just pisses me off that the Blackhawks would fund it. So, um, to to go back to a final thought from a couple weeks ago, but I think. As um, I, a big a big question though, you know, when the Big Ten formed this hockey conference, when when Penn State made their move to go up to D one, and and a donor came in and paid for half the stadium, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of that was was built, in my estimation, because of how successful the Big Ten network had been. Yeah, if the cable money dries up you no longer have a case for hockey as a, as a revenue generating sport outside of like ticket sales, which is hard to justify. So I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens to college hockey over the next, you know, several years. Um, just as, as things evolve on the television rights front. Well, but that being said, except for the big 10 network, where else are you really able to watch college hockey? I mean, I'm sure in the East it's all over the place. Um, but, like, probably on regional stuff. I mean, it's it's yeah. not... I mean, the Beanpot ESPN has 
I think every year they, they throw that on. Um, and, and then there's the big 10 network, but aside from that, you know, you're looking at regional stuff anyway. So I, I don't know that there's a ton of money in, in those regional networks. So I, I don't know how much of a difference really that would make. I just, I, I just knew it was a factor for the big 10. And so I'm, I'm get, I'm guessing that if it were to dry up a bit, it could be a problem for further expansion beyond what we have today. Well, I, I think my point is before the big 10 came along, everyone else is pretty much where they are now. It's just the big 10 network came in with some money and created a big 10 conference for hockey. I, I you know, everyone else is still in the same boat. Yeah, maybe. I think one other there's one other potential way to get a big boost, and that is, and I I don't even know if this is a thing that could be done. What about all these Canadian colleges? Don't they have hockey? I I have to assume that uh, you got I no. Don't think, I don't think so. In Canada, it's, it's all about juniors. Yeah, it doesn't. It, like I don't think sports works that way in Canada. Yeah, college, college hockey isn't a thing there because if you're any good, you're going to go play juniors. So that's not a way. We're like that's. So all we'd have to do is sell a foreign country on our ridiculously stupid format of athletics and be like, yeah, but all those guys getting paid, they could be getting a priceless education. Maybe look, Jerry Rice has been killing it in those commercials for the NCAA lately. Maybe Jerry can go up and talk to him. Where Jerry says with a straight face that his Mississippi Valley State degree was worth more than making the Hall of Fame or whatever the heck he says. Like, yeah, thanks, so, Jerry. So here's the big difference: is that um, colleges in Canada they have a they have a U they have an ice hockey league and it's run by U Sports. Um, and U Sports is like the equivalent of the NCAA in Canada, but unlike the NCAA, U Sports does not award players with athletic scholarships, and that's why um, it's it's much there's there's not a professionalism aspect because all the the good players, like you said, Sammy, they just they go to juniors and they get paid. Interesting. Oh well, it was a thought. <laughs> Um, the the, Al- the Alberta Golden Bears would be a welcome addition to uh, to this tournament, though. <laughs> uh, gut feeling. Uh, who do you think? Who do you think takes this? I'm I'm loving Minnesota State. They have uh, the 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 biggest baddest offense in the tournament. They were um, they've been they've been really high seeded the last couple years and just have not been able to break through. And I think this is maybe their their year finally uh, to to cause some to to do some damage. They get they get big scoring both from their offense and their defense. Um, they certainly have a tough road with with Minnesota Duluth and uh, Saint Cloud State in their in their bracket. But uh, I I like I like it to finally be Minnesota State's year. Something tells me their defense is going to be extra strong this year. Yeah, I'd be. I would definitely love that. I. I mean, again, I. I. I again, I put zero statistical analysis behind this because I have absolutely nothing to add from a analytical perspective. But Providence and Michigan Tech will definitely be just for Providence fans and Michigan Tech fans to make it as far as possible. That's my goal. 
big shocker. I'm uh, as the last team to repeat as national champions was Denver. Uh, oh, you jackass! What? <laughs> you got to bring that up. Uh, yeah, no, it's the last the last time there was a repeat champion. It was Denver, and I see no reason to get off their bandwagon again this year. So I, I am all in on Denver. Upset special. You heard you heard it here first. <laughs> Princeton over Ohio State. That'd be awesome. Uh, so th- those games face off uh, Friday afternoon. Um, should be a lot of fun. ESPN has them. Uh, you know, ESPN, ESPN News, uh, I think ESPN three. Uh, so you know, you'll be able to watch and the U and the U. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you can watch as much college hockey as you'd like, and uh, you know, the Frozen Four. A few weeks later, uh, we'll get back to talk about the the opening rounds, um, the Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight, if you will, uh, next week. Uh, before we go for tonight. Uh, Shall we continue our hunt for the Swolly Grail? So for my final thought, um, you guys, you know, you may have seen this earlier this week, a crazy incident um, where uh, Zay Jones, who's currently a wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills, he played for East Carolina, um, was filmed, um, I think by a security camera in, I think, the penthouse of a hotel or an apartment building, naked, um, clearly out of his senses, um, with his brother, who's also an NFL wide receiver, trying to get control of him, and I think his brother's girlfriend trying to get control of him also. And then so you can see Zay Jones walking in the hallway of the hotel or apartment building, naked and then he runs off and what you don't see on camera is he proceeded to punch do major damage to like glass windows get himself bloody and then track blood all over the hotel leading to a just a crazy scene um and ultimately the the report came today that he's not being charged um for vandalism somehow f- f- due to like a lack of evidence which i have no idea what the heck that means um the reason i bring this up though is anyone who watched this video, and again, I don't want to make a definitive statement like I know why he was doing this, but anyone who's followed college football anytime recently immediately has a thought of exactly what this is, like exactly what he was on and exactly why it caused him to act this way. And again, I don't 100% know, but several media reports have either speculated or I think, you know, talked to sources that seem to feel that this was a synthetic marijuana situation. And as soon as I watched the video, as I was watching the video, immediately I'm like, this is synthetic marijuana. That's what this is. That's what it makes you do. We've all seen this. We've all seen Robert Kindice, um and several other notable college football players get in exactly this situation. And the reason that I bring that up is just the whole reason to do synthetic marijuana is that you pass drug tests. And the trade-off is you're doing something that regardless of what your stance is on actual marijuana, synthetic marijuana is a hundred times worse. And 
I think it's just one of those things where it's like, I say this as someone who like, look, if there's someone around me that's smoking marijuana, I get annoyed mainly because of the smell. I'm not a huge supporter of it. But my thought is, look, if you want to go do it on your own time, fine, go nuts, whatever. But because of these drug testing policies that the NFL has, these guys are doing things that are potentially way worse just so that they can pass a drug test. And it's one of those things where it's like the common sense thing would just be like, look, if you're on your own time and you're in your own flipping penthouse of your apartment or hotel or whatever, then fine. Do what you're going to do. You want to smoke marijuana? Fine. Who cares? You're not, you know, don't go and get in a car beyond that. What what difference does it make one way or another? It's not performance enhancing. It's performance reducing. Um, and it's like if these guys want to do it, fine, then whatever. But for the love of God, a situation has been created where you have these guys taking this stuff that is just puts you out of your flipping mind uh, just so that you can get a high that is, I guess, theoretically similar to marijuana and pass a drug test. So again, there's my little soapbox moment. Um, it's just like, you know, I know like tons of studies need to be done on marijuana, etc. But the bottom line is marijuana by and large seems to be a relatively harmless substance to the individual taking it. And if we can just trade that out and get rid of this just horrific stuff, um, that is out there on the synthetic market, um, then, you know, I don't see how that's not a win anyway. Variations on a theme. Johnny Manziel worked out for NFL teams this week. <laughs> um, he actually did work out for teams this week, and uh, I guess he's you know he's living in San Diego. Uh, he worked out at the University of San Diego uh, at their pro day. The uh, there was a wide receiver and a tight end that needed a um, needed a QB to stand in for them, and. Uh, Sounds like he did pretty well. He's trying to prove to um, to folks that he is sober and uh, responsible and reliable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll see what happens. I guess you know people were pretty pleased with uh, with what he um, what he did. You know, just athletically, that he he looked pretty good. He was you know he completed I think thirty six of thirty eight passes, something like that. I mean, it's a pro day. Who knows? But uh, I think 13 different NFL teams were there, so who knows? The the Johnny Manziel bandwagon. John, your your dream, just, it might not be over. Look, we only have one or two coconuts left on Manziel Island, and I'm saving them all for myself. <laughs> uh, I, I would just like to point out, though, that he never was a bad football player in the NFL. He was perfectly fine considering that he was the Cleveland Browns quarterback. There have been many who have done a worse job than him. If the guy could get his head screwed on straight, I think there's a place for him in the NFL. Uh, do anyone know uh, which pro day Colin Kaepernick threw at? Oh, too soon? No? Wow. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> On his completely Ugh. different note, not to not to bring down the pod or anything, um, big congratulations to Olivia Rosendahl, uh, Northwestern diver, who won her second NCAA championship in a row back to back. Yeah, you know, so congrats to her. She uh, was the four seed going into uh, the national national finals tournament and uh, came out with a W. Uh, what makes it even more remarkable is, uh, I believe. That SPAC, uh, you know, does not have a platform. 
Uh, so the fact that she is a national championship platform diver and does not have a home platform to dive from is uh, is pretty awesome. So that's just great. That's just great recruiting. Let me say that. <laughs> someone someone did a really good job there. I also want to point out too that uh, given that we've spent uh, a lot of time on this podcast over the past couple of months talking about how hard it is to live up to the pressure of repeated expectations. <laughs> uh, a back-to-back uh, NCAA platform, winning that second one is is a much bigger deal than the first one. So that'll just about wrap it up for this week. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Pirates. You can give us a call on our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And you can email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.